1: Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Broadcast Podcast. My name's Tom, and I've got with me Beth today. We're both part of the broadcast team, and we're back bringing you some recordings from the Renewal for Revival Conference, which we did last month. Um, Today, I'm going to bring you the evening session, which was Rachel Gardner teaching again. We had her last time uh, on the pod as well. This is a very different kind of session, uh, more like a a preach than a a lecture about culture, really powerful stuff. Before we get into that, though, we took a break from the podcast last week because you, Beth, were working on another project that we've got coming up. Do you want to just um, share a little bit about what you've been up to and what will be available for people?
0: Yeah. So if you've been following the broadcast network closely, you've been seeing that. We've been uploading a back catalogue of Dave Devonshire's ministry over the years and we've been working on a course called The Kingdom of God for the last few months. And um, yeah, we're really exciting. We've got a release date for that now, which is the 27th of July. I was down in Bedford last week filming with him and yeah, it's going to be an amazing course, kind of introducing the Kingdom of God, talking about how, you know, we build up leaders and just um, the practicalities of working out the kingdom on Earth as well. So, yeah, I'm really excited for it to be available next week. Oh, two weeks, sorry, mm-hmm. <laughs> on the 27th of July. Um, yeah, it's going to be amazing.
1: Oh, that sounds great. I'm really looking forward to that. What, what would people need to do if they wanted to, to see that and access that material?
0: Yeah, so if you are signed up to our newsletter, you will get a notification in your inbox when that comes online. But also, you can keep your eyes peeled on our social media as well for all the updates. Um, yeah, so just stay connected and you will see it.
1: Great. Thanks, Beth. So, we're going to bring you this talk from Rachel. Uh, I found it a really powerful, challenging mm. talk. Um, uh, I don't know about you, Beth, whether there was anything that stood out and struck you about this one.
0: Yeah, definitely. I think. Um, there was a, there's a brilliant analogy halfway through where well I say analogy, but it's actually it actually happened. So it's an analogy where Rachel basically describes um pulling out the weeds outside their church offices. And she's um she's kind of getting down a day, pulling out these weeds by hand, and um just talking about how in in Jesus' name she was rebuking these weeds and uh, and saying, you know, in <laughs> the risen Christ be gone. <laughs> and um there was just something so brilliant about um yeah the the practical outworking of uh of pulling out these weeds and kind of getting your hands dirty and, uh, and not always being glamorous and just uh it was a great great image um, what stood out for you tom
1: yeah yeah i think for me it was um the bit right after what what you've just uh talked about so talking about um what she was doing with the weeds she used a phrase your presence is interrogating the lie that darkness wins. I love mm. that, that phrase. Um, so as people of God, wherever we, we go, there'll be something that, those weeds are the metaphor for mm. There'll be the kingdom of darkness, where that'll be injustice, death, loneliness, um, illness, what, whatever it may be. And her pulling those things out is, is a challenge to the dark systems of the world. Mm. How are we, in that and uh, then she went into some really um, grounded, normal, everyday examples, like um, sitting with her kids as they were going to sleep. That's the same thing; it's bringing Christ's authority into that situation now. Mm-hmm. So I was really struck by by that bit and, uh, and challenged mm-hmm. by that. And um, the the other one for me was um, she was talking about Jesus defining the mission He's called us on, and how it's easy. Uh, I, I know I do this sometimes to Get ahead of myself in my mind and think. Well, we'll do this, and then God needs to come in and bless the thing that I'm thinking of, mm. and um, just to to take a step back to see. Well, what's God doing and what's God calling us into? Um, he sets the agenda, uh, mm. and not me. So, yeah, I've, I found that yeah. one uh, another really helpful thing. Mm, um, definitely. Yeah, I think
0: as well she mentioned about God using us um, in the areas where we don't want to let go or lay down Mm. of something and God using us most in those areas. And I think that was really, she drew from some of her own personal experiences as well. And it was really, um, yeah, really challenging,
1: which was really brilliant. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so someone's about to listen to this. What, what would you expect them to be feeling at the end of it? Like what way is this going to challenge them and, um, kind of hit, hit a spot with it?
0: Yeah, I think, um, definitely what, what I felt the evening that she, she gave this talk and uh, what I can expect listeners to feel as well is just, um, well, like a hunger for the presence of God and kind of this realigning of like, right, like you said, kind of like, God, what's your will in this situation? Rather than me trying to define what your will is or what I think that your will should be and um, kind of just handing things over to God that maybe we've held quite close and, uh, and just trusting him with it, really. I think that's generally what I felt.
1: Yeah, yeah. So shall we um, hand over to Rachel then and have a listen to the talk? Yeah,
2: brilliant. Fantastic. Well, um, it's been an absolute delight to be here this afternoon. I was here this afternoon with wonderful women and men who are leaders in churches across the North I think there's some Londoners in the room. I'm a Londoner. I think some folks have come from London. Well done, brilliant. Um, But I think... We've been welcomed and joined tonight by people that have proper jobs. So stick your hand up if you were working during the day and couldn't come until tonight. There we go. Wonderful. Fantastic. So you are so welcome and we love being alongside you. Uh, and And really what I want for tonight is that the talk that I bring equips us whether we are in formal leadership in the church, whether God's placed us in a different front line. We're all at the fighting edge of the battle area. And the place that God has called you to is unique and fabulous, and He knows who He has in you, and He knows why He's placed you there. So don't, for a moment, if you're sat here tonight thinking I've snuck in to a conference that's really for other people, and I've snuck in the side door. Actually, is this a bit? This is. There we go. Um, I can change mics if it gets too much. Liz, if you want me to change, I can. Should we do that now? Let's do that now. Sorry, I've got, I've got wires coming out of the wires. There we go, should we do that? Thank you so much, there we go. So um, yeah, so don't think this is for somebody other than you. This is for you. So just say that to your heart, just say that to your mind, this is for you. Well, how comfortable are you feeling right now? Are you sitting comfortably? Do you like, do you like being comfortable? I mean, we're in, we're in a culture that makes quite an art form out of being comfortable. Poor Tom is not comfortable because at any minute I might end up on his lap. (laughs) I'm like so close, I'll be stroking your head in a minute. How comfortable are you feeling? Imagine you had the opportunity to get into a flotation tank or some kind of machine where your experience of reality inside that flotation tank would be only what you want it to be. You would be the curator of whatever you would like to be experiencing. Keep it clean, people, we're in church. But imagine that you could project, like, what is your sense of the best life? And imagine you could actually erase from your memory your existence outside of the flotation tank. All you would know would be this kind of simulated reality that is your projected idea of the best life. Would you want it? Well, for years, social scientists have said that the key driving force in humanity is pleasure. If it feels good, if it makes us feel good, we will always prioritise that over anything else. And in 1974, Robert Nozick came up with a way of testing this hypothesis. So in 1974, he created the thought experiment that I've just done to you, and he asked loads of people, would you opt For the machine-simulated reality, or would you choose, in all its complexity, the ups and the downs of the life that you live, that you have very little control over, where you're influenced by external forces, where you can't manage everything, but you're getting along just about, okay, what would you choose? And maybe, unsurprisingly, everybody said, the flotation tank sounds nice, but I will pick reality every single day and the question is why why did they do that and why would you or I do that with reality being so tough as it can be and so complex and so out of our control why would we choose the ups and downs of reality over the fake every time and we are now operating in a world that he could never imagine with Instagram and TikTok and I call it sometimes Nick knock and that's highly embarrassing why would we choose that well I wonder if because actually fake demands nothing of us, whereas reality demands everything. Fake doesn't expect us to grow and to change and develop, but reality requires us to do hard stuff. And even though we live in an age that kind of makes a fortune out of telling us, you want an easy life, come on! You want such an easy life, and we've got the gadgets to make that happen. And you and I fall for every time. The reality is that actually, deep in your psyche, deep in your soul, deep in your bones, I don't know your life story, I don't know the pain that you maybe still carry, but probably deep somewhere inside you is part of you that goes, I want to grow, I want to do hard stuff. I don't want a life that's simple. I was listening to Radio 1 Extra the night because mostly I love Radio 4 and I'm a youth worker and I just think that sometimes, sometimes I should listen to something other than The Archers. and no, I hate The Archers. But um, I was listening to um, a great track called 100% Endurance by Yard Act. There's some leads, a couple of Leeds lads and they produced um, a brilliant track in January this year. And I sometimes love to listen to how... People in culture are grabbing this moment, making the most of the reality, deciding what they're going to do with how tough life is. Let me read you some lyrics from 100% Endurance by uh, uh, Yard Boys and Yard Act. I was woken by a bang. They do it much better than this. I'm just going to give you my best spoken word. I was woken by a bang. And I could already taste the pain, the sudden fear that grips and shapes you when you face the truth. Whose sofa was this? Where are my shoes? What did we do last night? I don't remember leaving Nathan's house. Ah, yeah. How could I forget why my pants were soaking wet when we'd been pissing ourselves, laughing at the news? Did you see it too? It was incredible. They played it on a loop. We couldn't believe it. Basically, they discovered that there were others just like us other beings, other creatures, other planets with other species who had gods that they believed in. And they interviewed all of them. And every one of them, not one of them, could give any hint of a clue what they were doing here either. It's all so pointless. It's such a powerful track. If you haven't heard it, go and listen to it. And I sat there in the car listening to Radio 1 Extra thinking, we're facing the same reality But tonight you are here because actually the reality you've discovered in God propels you not to say it's all pointless, there's nothing here, but it propels you towards hope, it propels you towards purpose, it propels you towards action, it propels you to want to pay a large cost and to follow one who has given it all. C.S. Lewis says... Human history is the long and terrible story of people trying to find something other than God that will make them happy. I think whatever role you play in life, whatever your job, whatever you're studying, whatever you spend your nine to five, whatever your life looks like, this current cultural moment that you and I are in, this reality, demands a lot from us. Without getting too heavy, I think we're in quite a dark time in human history. I think the centre cannot hold. Mere anarchy is unleashed upon the world. I think we're seeing suffering and pain and fragility on a scale that maybe maybe human hearts have never really fully grasped before because we have internet technology. We can understand not just what's happening in our own world and our own communities, but what's happening around the world. And the world feels suddenly very, very small but my hunch is that you're here because you desire to live a life that is propelled to action to make a difference, to pay the cost. And if I was to sum up what I think this current cultural reality is asking of us as followers of Jesus, a remnant group of faithful who want to in a secular age when the community around us says what you believe in God and God's good? Like, what is that? I believe that what this current cultural reality is asking of us is that we would be bolder, wilder, and deeper in our faith, that we don't hold back, that we don't play safe, that we live lives that are wilder, bolder, and deeper. I don't know what you think of when you hear the word wilder. Uh, I sometimes think, when I think of the word wild, like it's the idea of something being really alien, something being really out there. But, but wild simply means the natural environment. Like Wild animals don't do well cooped up in domesticated spaces. They do really well in great open savannas, in big, wide landscapes. You are created to live in a big, wide landscape. And so often we domesticate faith. We make it safe, we, and also because we're intelligent, we're not stupid. We live in a secular age, where we realise that being people of faith means we have to understand how to operate within a wider culture and a wider society. We can't go around demanding that we always have our own way. That's not how we live as a remnant followers of Jesus. We're always about kind of on the edge, fringe activism, movements that change whole communities. But your heart is wild and you're made for a wild life. When I talk about boldness, I mean that willingness to take risks, to have a strength that comes from the courage of following Jesus. And when I say depth, I mean kind of a deepening knowledge and love for God that extends far beneath the surface of your skin, beneath all layers of superficiality, so that wherever God takes you online in this world, whatever spaces you end up in, whatever industries and departments and places you go, your love for Jesus is that anchor, deep, within you, that even if you never meet another follower of Jesus, your faith is strong, your life is secure, and your life is radiant. Well, I love, I love the New Testament. I love the Gospels. I love the stories of Jesus. And and when I was a little kid, I used to imagine, because I used to hear these stories quite as separate little standalone bits. I never had a sense of it all holding together have you ever read one of the gospels from cover to cover some of you have I really encourage you to do that if you get a spare bit of time between lectures or at work or whatever it is is and read it somewhere busy read the gospel somewhere that doesn't feel Christian and safe read it somewhere where life is going on around you Because the Gospels are the biographies of Jesus as he's wandering about, as he's on the mission of the march, as he's heading for Jerusalem. And he's got this incredible crowd of very young people with him, young disciples, women and men with him, the 12 are guys, but loads of women around that space as well. And he's he's teaching them on the go. And what I'd love to do this evening is just draw out some key things from some key encounters that Peter has with Jesus over a over a period of time. Is that okay? So if you've got your Bibles, you might want to switch on your Bible or open your Bible. I'm looking at Matthew chapter 16. Because if I think if there's a verse that kind of sums up that kind of wilder, bolder, deeper kind of experience of faith in Christ and life, it would be Matthew 16:24. So grab Matthew 16:24, and it's this: Jesus says to his followers if any of you want to follow me you must give up your own way you must take up your cross and you must follow me can you hear the wildness in that can you hear the boldness and the courage in that can you hear the depth of living in that like, you can't live a superficial, domestic kind of, well, I'm kind of religious, I go to church. Like, this blows that out of the water, doesn't it? This is all in or nothing. And this killer verse appears in three of the four Gospels. And each time it appears, it's wedged between two fantastic Outrageous, wild, nuts encounters that Jesus has the disciples. It's always between Caesar I Philippi and Get Behind Me, Satan, and then the Transfiguration. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna just pull out some key verses and, and just take you because I, I want you to see that verse in its in its bigger context. Is that okay? So stick with me, guys. I'm gonna be rattling through this and yeah. then uh, we're gonna give the time to the Holy Spirit, lots of time to the Holy Spirit to do some more beautiful stuff. So I'm starting at Matthew 16 verse 13. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do you say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, yeah, but who do you say? that I am. And blessing Peter pipes up, you are the Christ, the Son of God, the living God. And Jesus is like, yeah, brilliant. Jump down. Verse 21. From that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he's got to go to Jerusalem, where you and I know that he dies and he suffers. And Peter takes him aside and begins to rebuke Jesus. Oh, good luck there, Peter, for doing that. He begins to rebuke him, saying, far be it from you, Lord, this will never happen to you. And Jesus, very compassionate and pastoral, says, get behind me, Satan, you're a hindrance to me what do we do with that one? Let's move on, keep going. Then in verse 24, then Jesus tells his disciples this beautiful verse, if anyone comes after me, give up your own way, pick up your cross and follow me. For whoever would save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. And then jump down to the beginning of chapter 17. I'm going to read you from verse 1 to verse 8. And after six days, so a bit of a pause, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John his brother and led them up a mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun And his clothes became white as light and there appeared Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, oh Lord, this is fantastic that we're here. If you wish, I can make three tents, one for you, one for Moses and one for Elijah. And he was still speaking. I love this. God has to interrupt Peter. Peter is still speaking. When a voice comes from heaven, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased, listen to him, in brackets, Peter, shut up, and verse 6, when the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces, and they were terrified, but Jesus came and touched them, saying, rise and have no fear, and when they lifted their eyes, they saw Jesus only, ah, I would love to have been in all of that, wouldn't you, I'd have loved to have been there, what a ride, what a wild Right. That first to give everything to Jesus comes in the middle of that powerful encounter where Peter is like, day by day, his mind is being blown. I think I get who you are, but I don't quite get who you are. I don't quite get who you are, and it's coming thick and fast, but I am yours. I am in. I am in. So let me unpack some of the thoughts then around this this might be new to you might have preached on these passages many times but Peter confesses Jesus as the Christ for Jesus to be known as the would-be Messiah he's going to come and destroy the largest fighting force the Roman Empire he's going to attract all the wrong kind of attention he's going to be someone who's going to be hated and he's going to be hunted So when Jesus wants to dig a little bit deeper with his friends, who've been watching what's going on, (laughs) these fishermen, they've been watching that Jesus is a bit different to a usual rabbi. When Jesus wants to ask them a bit more detail about who they say he is, he walks them the furthest they ever go from Jerusalem to Caesarea Philippi, actually outside of Roman rule. They literally go far away where almost what they say about Jesus doesn't matter. Because no one's going to overhear it. And there, Jesus asks a really cryptic question. He doesn't say, who am I to you? He says, who do people say the son of man is? And they come up with some great answers. They're basically saying, they're not just listing names. They're not like in Sunday school going, I know this one. Uh, I, I, Jeremiah, uh, Isaiah. They're, they're actually naming quite outrageous prophets who are full of fire. So they're kind of saying to Jesus, you're, you're fire, you are, <laughs> you're, you're dangerous. And they're saying that to him. And then Jesus pushes it a bit further. But who do you say that I am? And then Peter does this wonderful thing that I think sometimes people gifted with the gift of the gab, who who don't think, who just speak, who are kind of sense and respond people, sometimes get it brilliantly right and sometimes get it brilliantly wrong. But here's one of those moments where Peter senses and responds and it's on the money. Like he senses the significance of this moment and he says, you are the Christ Christ. You're not just a prophet, you're God's Messiah. And far away from Jerusalem, Jesus looks at Peter and says, you've got it." And I wonder if Jesus needed to hear Peter say it. And I wonder if Peter needed to hear himself say it. Because then they turn around and where do they head? They head towards crucifixion and death and as they get closer and closer to Jerusalem quite literally the clouds the clou- clouds gather the darkness gathers on the cross Jesus draws out the face of evil he exposes what's behind the empire of Rome and what is behind Satan's plan he literally draws out evil and as he's walking towards Jerusalem it's almost like all these forces are been to follow him it's very Lord of the Rings isn't it they're kind of they've been drawn out And Jesus knows that Peter needs to see that. But then you think Peter's got it, but oh no, oh no, on this walk, Jesus is like, right guys, basically that amazing encounter, this is what's about to happen. And Peter senses, responds, that won't happen to you. That won't happen to you, Jesus, because I know what's supposed to happen to a Messiah. And they're supposed to kick Roman Empire, but they're not supposed to be crucified. But Jesus, in saying to him, Satan, get behind me, he's not calling Peter Satan. He's not saying to Peter, you're demon-possessed. That's what, not, not what's happening here. But Jesus is simply harking back to the temptation in the wilderness where Satan dished out those diversary goals. The temptation that Satan presented Jesus in the, tem- in the wilderness was to take power for yourself, was to have earthly power, for earthly goals. And Jesus defeated that temptation in the wilderness, so this ain't a problem now. He's already defeated that. But Jesus is saying, come on, I'm not, I'm not fighting flesh and blood. Paul picks that up, doesn't he, later. We're not fighting flesh and blood. There will be a physical crucifixion, there will be a physical death, but I am kicking the darkness till it bleeds daylight. There is a different battle going on, and I am the king, and I am the king who is crucified. And that's what the disciples won't get until they've seen him crucified. And then the transfiguration. Oh, I love this story. Because they just wake up a mountain. And suddenly the most extraordinary thing happens before them. And Peter, yet again, yet again, he's trying to sense what's going on. A bit like us with this current age, this current moment, Jesus, what are you doing? He's trying to sense what's going on. And Peter, being Peter, says, This is awesome! Like the founders of our movement are here! Like the top dogs are in the room! So I'm gonna build shelters and we can all hang out here. And Jesus, like, there's a mission. I'm not staying here, we're keeping moving. And while he's still jabbering on, Peter encounters the raw presence of God he sees Jesus, the God-man, shot through with the power of God, and he is terrified, and he falls on his knees. Wow, I love these stories. But what for you and I? What can we draw from this? in The places that God has placed you to be an influencer, where God has said, I want to put you on that front line so you can see what I'm doing. And you can get around that new life, that renewal life, that revival life that God is bringing wherever it is that you are. What do we draw from this? Well, I've got three thoughts for us because that feels like a really good holy thing. (laughs) But thought number one, what will it mean for you wherever you are to recognise Christ's authority? Wherever you are, to recognise Christ's authority, to name him, to name that you are with him, to name that however this structure or the system that you're in, however it's been set up by human minds, even to the best of its ability, you will serve that well, but you actually are working to a different system. You are working to a system where no one gets cancelled. You are working to a system where there is utter redemption and freedom. Where Christ's authority rules and reigns. When Jason and I, my husband, Jason and I, moved to Blackburn to plant um, this church um, onto an estate in in Blackburn, it's, it, it's, it comes as 13th. This housing estate is number 13 out of 33,000 wards in England, and it's the, it's the lowest number 13 in terms of household deprivation. It's a very very deprived community, and has lots of kind of institutional issues going on generational poverty huge amounts of domestic violence the housing estate is essentially run by a few very violent men Um, and I'm so grateful to God that he has brought young men in their 20s who are gentle strong men who have that kind of beautiful gentle quiet power and the teenagers in our estate are seeing in these young guys oh you can be a man without being toxic you can be a man without being domineering. It's so beautiful, these guys that God's brought to us. I'm so excited about them. And, um, but the, the church, that the, the old building that's been closed for years that we've been asked to plant into is complete disrepair. So it's having a massive overhaul. But it has all these weeds that grow around it. I never wear practical footwear. Never. I think Gore-Tex and anything walking gear has come from the pit of hell. I absolutely hate it. I refuse to wear it. So even if it's pouring with rain, I don't care. I wear my lime green trench leather coat. I don't care. And there was one day where there were so many weeds around our church building, and it's right in the heart of the housing estate. And I thought, we're going to put some signs out here saying, church is here, we're here for you, and stuff's happening. But I want to pull up all these weeds, because they just look really, really messy. So I I didn't go with any implements. I began to pull up some weeds, and an old man from a local housing association house came over and said, do you want to use this? And it was some kind of implement. I was like, yeah, thank you very much. So I began to pull up these weeds, but as I was pulling up the weeds, I began to pray. I thought, actually, I'm going to name Christ's authority over this place. I'm going to pray that the housing estate, the heavenly housing estate that God sees, that Jesus sees, that we can see that come into reality here. That this could be a housing estate where there's no domestic violence, where people find work, where families are restored, where rubbish is cleared up, where kids don't bump into needles and knives. So I was pulling up these, <laughs> and as I was pulling up the weeds, some of them were coming up really easy. yes. Take that, Christ's authority over you. But some of them are really, really tough. So I was getting this implement out. And at one point, I had a little gaggle of people watching me as I was shouting at this weed, you are no match for the power of the gospel. <laughs> and then, you were out, love. Yes, I'm fine. I'm just doing some battle in the heavenlies. You don't need to be standing on your swivel chair in your office. <laughs> and say the bullying in this place is no match with the gospel of Jesus you don't need to stand up and become a social pariah (laughs) but actually your very presence at university in the church that you're leading in your workplace is in and of itself an interrogation of the lie that death and pain and injustice and isolation and loneliness wins your very presence is an interrogation of that lie. Even before you open your mouth, the fact that you are there living for a different king, being part of a different kingdom, an ambassador of heaven, living out heaven culture on earth, you are interrogating that lie. So what would it look like for you in your place where God has placed you, your front line, in your home, wherever it is, to say, Christ, let me see that you have authority here. And I sometimes find, with all my extrovertism and my big stories and my fun stories that I share at the front... For me, sometimes it's at home. I've got two. We've got two children who are adopted. They are the most beautiful gift from God. They carry so much trauma and pain, and and they also think that sleep is for complete losers. Right. Haven't won that one yet. But but for years, I've had to sit. Me and my husband will sit with them while they fall asleep. And sometimes it's half eleven, midnight at night, and a battle rages in me. Oh my goodness, Lord, this is awful. Sometimes it's in the most quiet intimate moments not the big stage of your life but the private place of your life where you need to say Christ you have the authority here not my stress not my anxiety not my panic all those things I can bring to you and Jesus you don't shame me for them but you have authority so both the front stage of your life and the quiet privacy of the life Ask the Spirit, Spirit, where do you want to show that Jesus, you have the authority? Second one, let Jesus define the mission that he's called you on. Let Jesus define that mission. Peter tries to contain, he tries to mansplain or woman-splain to make it equal to uh, Jesus why he will not be crucified. He tries to define the mission. That's never good. Have you ever tried to do that? I have. God, I'll be yours, but I won't marry a northerner and I won't move north. (laughs) I mean, the flip side of it is that we think that God will automatically do the stuff that we completely hate, which is not true either. But let Jesus define the mission. Jesus, what is on your heart for the people that I interact with all the time? What is on your heart? What are you already doing? that I would love to have eyes to see. What do you want to do with me as you've placed me here? What, what is your dream for this space? Let Jesus to find the mission because when we define it, what we tend to do is we say, well, probably what God wants to do is X, so I need to become a little bit more outrageous or a little bit better at this and we begin to create these hypothetical situations and then we say, God, will you help me in these hypothetical situations and God's like, while you're over there creating some weird reality, I'm here doing this stuff and I'd really like you just to come and be your shape and be your personality and bring your skills and your talents. There's a beautiful quote you said earlier, wasn't it? About realizing our smallness and letting, letting the Holy Spirit have his way. I wonder if that could be a prayer for you. Jesus, will you just whisper in my mind how you see me playing my part in your mission? And forgive me, Lord, when my, my, my Christian ease and my religiosity, when my desire to do this sometimes means I jump ahead. And I begin to get involved in a mission that you've not called me into. And then the third one, walk in step with Jesus. So recognize Christ's authority. Let Jesus define the mission that he's called you to. And walk in step with Jesus. I often wonder, how did Jesus and the disciples walk? You know when you're with people that you really love and you hang out with quite a bit, You don't tend to walk at a distance you tend to walk bumping into each have you noticed that you kind of stumble into each other and you knock into each other yeah have you noticed a group of lads do that quite a lot as well I often imagine that the way Jesus walked with his disciples was quite like that it was quite physical they bumped into each other quite a bit and this notion that we have of like somehow floating above above the world walking with Jesus is practical and brilliant and just real I think that's what Peter experienced. And I wonder, at the end of lots of these little segments, you'll see in the three Gospels, uh, whenever these stories are are retold, at the end of each little segment, Jesus says, don't tell anyone. Or it says, and they were charged not to tell anyone, which feels like a psychological miss, really. It's like, if you tell someone not to do something, they will so do it. And there's lots of brilliant theologians that have much better notions as why Jesus said that, and they are true, and I'm probably very dodgy it's about to say what I'm about to say. But I, but I wonder sometimes if, if one of the thoughts in Jesus' mind, I wonder, I wonder is that he always knows that the moment he gives them permission to go tell people about him, they'll be off, they'll be gone, they'll be so excited. The moment he says, now, go, go into all the earth tell people about me, they'll be, they'll be there, they'll be like, all right then, I've got my tickets, I've got my plan, I've gone, and Jesus, we're told in the Gospel of Mark, he calls disciples to him because he wants them to be with him, he wants to be with them, and I sometimes wonder whether he's just like, just stay close guys, I'm showing you some big, but stay close, yeah, that, but stay close, You've just seen me glow like the sun. Yeah, pretty cool. Stay close. My face is like, yeah, my face is beautiful. Stay close. My clothes, they were very, very white. You're right. Just stay close. I know I called you Satan. I didn't really mean it like that. Stay close. Like, it's this beautiful kind of this big stuff. Like, the more Jesus is showing them of just his majesty, and, and, and the more he wants them close with him. And that is for you and me too. Jesus wants you close with him. He wants to show you some big stuff. He wants to share some dreams in his heart. He wants to do some fun things with you and kick the darkness with the daylight and see lives transformed and whole communities transformed. But he wants you to stay close. And we have been given the Great Commission to go and to tell. But the Holy Spirit has come that we would always know the closeness of the Son and the fellowship of the Spirit and the love of the Father. I guess in a nutshell what I'm saying or what I'm trying to say <laughs> in all of this is that at the heart of our life as followers of Jesus it always has been and it always will be and it is really specifically for now is that it's about our obedience and our surrender to Jesus the two sides of the same coin and that is the journey that Jesus is taking Peter on it's about your obedience Peter it's about listening to me it's about staying close to me it's about letting me define the mission it's about me calling you and it's about surrender it's about you letting go of what you think this should look like it's about you letting go of the fear of what happens if it goes all horribly wrong and you realizing that as you surrender I am holding on to you and what we see time and time again throughout scripture, throughout our church history, throughout your own experience, is that obedience and surrender to Christ brings favour. Not because it's a formula, but because it's the way. It's the way of Jesus. It always has been the way of Jesus. Obedience and surrender is the way. Up on the mountain... As the disciples are flat on their face, having just seen Jesus, this man, shot through with the power of God. And as they hear the voice saying, listen to my son, be obedient to him, they are on their faces. Now, if you've tracked this story through the three Gospels, it's in Matthew, it's in Mark and it's in John. You'll discover something really interesting in the text. Every time this story is written, it's slightly different how the writers shape it and phrase it. But there's one thing that is consistent in all three accounts. And it is that as the disciples are lying on their faces in terror and awe, Jesus goes to them and he touches their shoulders and he lifts them up. And as they lift up their face, every gospel says this. And when they lifted their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. That's the favor. The fruit of obedience and surrender is that as we lift up our eyes, we see Jesus. We realize that He is closer than we dared to imagine. We realize that He is everything we've been longing for. We realize that His presence is our home. We realize that his presence is our calling, that his presence is our purpose, that his presence is what makes sense of our lives. It's beautiful, a beautiful gift. And Jesus, at the beginning, when he says to Peter, "Um, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against this, could you hear the heavens shouting, Yes! And the enemy going, What? I will build my church. That's the favour, that as you and I are obedient and surrendered, Jesus will make all things new, and you will see it from your swivel chair in your office. You will see it in your lecture hall. You will see it out and about as you surrender and are obedient to Jesus and you lift up your eyes and you see him only. You will see him building his church. You will see him making all things new. And you'll be like, how on earth did I get the privilege of being at the fighting edge of the battle area and seeing this Jesus and being part of this with you? How on earth did I get to do that? And Jesus says, it's your crucified life. It's because you didn't count your life worth the cost that you laid it down all for me. Being at the front edge. Years ago, I'm going to end with this story and then am going to give Holy Spirit some time. Years and years ago, I was working in a youth centre in North London, and it was at the height of the um, teenage pregnancy <laughs> epidemic where um, young people, girls, were just looking at boys and getting pregnant. I know that's not how you get pregnant, I'm just putting it out there. But that was what was happening on our estate in North London. And there was a teenage girl who was pregnant, she was 14, and um, she'd been living in a squat, and the social care team were working brilliantly with her and said, for her well being, she wants to keep this baby, and we we're going to support her with that, but she needs to move home with mum. But that was a really difficult relationship. So as the youth, I was leading the youth centre and I I said to mum and daughter, what do you guys need to make this possible for the next nine months to see this little one, little life come into play? And and the mum and daughter said to me, we don't want to talk to each other, but we'll talk to each other through you, Rachel. I was like, oh, fun nine months? Can't wait for this to begin. So, So for the first few weeks... Every day they would come to the youth centre. They would save up all the stuff they wanted to say to each other. And mum would be in one room and beautiful teenage girl would be in the other room. And I would literally go in between the rooms. Right, what do you want to say to her? Okay, okay, minus expletives, I'll pass that on. And And after a few weeks I was like, this is not working. Can we at least be in the same room? So we got in the same room. And over the nine months, bit by bit this incredible mother and daughter relationship began to heal and restore. And by towards the end, and in fact, it was the day before the little boy was born, they were both sat in front of me in my office. And I'm a Christian youth worker. I name drop Jesus all the time. I have stuff around my office that says I love Jesus. I'm constantly telling people. And at this particular juncture, the mum said to me, um, Rachel, are you a Christian? I'm like, oh, yes. But yes, I am. And she said, would you pray for us? Oh, man. So they both put their heads down. And at the same time, my husband and I were discovering that I have infertility issues and can't have children. I was going through failed IVF treatment. I was angry with God. I was upset with God. I loved God. I was trying to surrender. I was broken. I was churning up and I was supporting This couple and felt, God, I'm doing you such a favor because I want to be pregnant and they're not belonging to this. And in that moment, as they put their heads down, do you know? Very rarely have I heard God speak to me in a way that feels vaguely audible, other than just my, my random thoughts. As they put their heads down to let me pray for them, I just sense the Holy Spirit say to me, See, Rachel, I make all things new. See? I wanted you to see this. I didn't need you to do this. I wanted you to see this, that I make all things new. And my friends, the area of your obedience and surrender will probably not be the area of your life that feels easy to surrender and to be obedient in. It'll be an area of your life where there is a battle and you're being contended and it's really tough and it hurts. And you're like, God, I can give you anything else but not This. Not this, I'm not ready yet, God. I'm not ready yet. And God is kind and gentle. and He'll never force you to do anything. But sometimes you will will know, I think it's there, God, isn't it? That's where you want me to surrender. That's where you want me to be obedient. I have no idea how to do this. And God says, that's okay. We've got nine months. We can do this. Bit by bit. Step by step. Little bit by little bit you're what you make, all things new. I would not undo any of that to witness what Jesus alone can do. Obedience and surrender leads to favour, not because it's the formula, but because it's the way. It's the way of Jesus in loving you, and it's the way of Jesus in calling you to be part of the renewal and the revival of making all things new. Friends, if you're comfortable, let's just maybe just close our eyes. I've said a absolute cacophony of words and in this moment you have such a uniquely beautiful heart soul, mind and strength that the Father delights and he delights in you he knows how you process stuff he knows intimately the language that you best hear him in whether it's thoughts or words or song or Silence. Holy Spirit, you are a gift to us. You come to us as a third person of the Trinity. You're not an it or a who and we welcome you. And we thank you Jesus that you give us your wonderful spirit without measure. Holy Spirit, we welcome you to come and move among us and minister to us because you know us. You know us. We welcome you. We welcome you, Holy Spirit. I pray now for each one of us that there will be thought or a feeling or an idea or something that we just sense Holy Spirit you are putting your finger on as you walk among us something that feels for us for me when you come do that Holy Spirit just come and rest on us just rest on us some of you I think the Holy Spirit is just almost showing you that the, the um, nail marks in Jesus' hands is the Holy Spirit is reminding you of how how much you are loved and what it costs the Son to love you and the deep love the Father has for you thank you Jesus I think for some of you, you are being invited to bring now to Jesus areas of your life, or your ministry, or your work, or your, just the landscape of your life that feels complicated to bring to Jesus, that feels difficult to just know how you would surrender. And the voice of the enemy is not welcome here because that voice, he's a liar and he's a deceiver and he's an accuser and he wants to cover us in shame which says to us, no, this cannot be for you and this is not for you. So that voice is banished and Holy Spirit, you are welcome to gently draw out of our hearts what it is we're struggling to let go of, what we're struggling to surrender, an area of our life where we're struggling to be obedient. So come, Holy Spirit, just help us with this, please, because we need you. This is a work of the Spirit. Thank you, Spirit. Thank you, Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit.